0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Freedom Talks. Uh, today, we're talking to Cherie Cat, an A-A-S-E-C-T, or the American Association of Se- Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, Certified Sex Therapist, and she is on with Physical Therapist and Women's Health Specialist, Nina Olson, to talk about sexual health today. How are you both doing?
1: Doing, doing well. Great. Perfect.
0: Yes. Um, so. I guess let's just start and dive in to your background, Shuri. So I read a little bit on your website, you've had kind of a very robust background, um, have done some other things in the past. How did um, you, how did you come to be a sex therapist?
2: Yeah, good question. Um, you know, when you're a kid and you're being asked, what do you want to do when you're, you grow up? It's, firefighter or nurse or something not a lot of people say sex therapy and surprisingly it's not something that I definitely like I was not um, planning into into this field Um, I started in therapy and um, it was in my practice I did an internship and then I um, was seeing clients and I came to my supervisor one day and she I was like, I'm seeing this couple and they're not talking about sex. And she was like, she started laughing. because She's like, you know, most of my supervisees come to talk to me and they're like, they're talking about sex. What do I do? And you're actually coming to me and saying they're not and that that's a problem. Um, I feel like it's something I've always been comfortable engaging around and talking about. Um, and, yeah, noticing in my client, like, this was a huge need that I felt unprepared to, you know, in some ways, I needed more training around. So, um, and in my own story, it was something that I was also, you know, my own personal story kind of wanting to dive deeper into. And so I started training through ASECT, which you named as kind of a mouthful of the American Association for Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and um, and was certified a couple of years ago. So um, yeah, so that's a little bit about how I got into it, you know, a little, some anecdotal, anecdotal ways I got into it, but it's a bit of a bit of a journey. Yeah.
1: What is that certification like? How long does that take?
2: It took a few years, actually. It was pretty extensive. I tell people it's kind of a mini master's degree in some ways, because Um, I had to do a lot of hours with clients, and then also many, many hours of training within different um, areas of sexual health and with different types of clients. Um, And so, yeah, the application process was pretty extensive for that and the certification yeah, I feel really grateful to be part of a group of people that I, if I don't know something, I can ask questions and there's colleagues that I can turn to, but it's an area that is super fun and lots of things to continue to learn about. Yeah.
0: And, um, I know you had, was it was either we, or you had reached out to us, uh, just to kind of connect because you're, um, I think, relatively new to the area or just moved back to the area from uh, the yeah. Seattle, uh, Washington region?
2: Yeah, that's right. I um, This is my first time living in the area. And uh, so I have a lot of sex therapy colleagues in the Washington, Seattle area, as well as all over the country through my ASECT connections. But Um, yeah, I do because of the overlap that I do with medical professionals and with physical therapists, I really wanted to grow my networks here in Milwaukee. Um, And coming up on August 9 actually will be my two-year anniversary of living here. So um, yeah, it's been great and starting to really get more connected with the offerings here. And when I met with you, Nina, it was so fun to learn about just the the hopefulness that you see of women talking more about these things and supporting each other mm-hmm. in these areas of their life, um, postpartum, or just in their intimate relationships and talking as women about sexual health. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's,
0: I think that's a really good natural segue into kind of, um, can you both kind of chime in about the connection that seems to be very important for you guys to have as a sex therapist and then Nina as a woman's health specialist um, in the physical therapy world um, and how you work together and what that looks like for patients.
1: Yeah, yeah. you know, I'm um, oh, sorry, Cherie, um, I thought I would just jump in here quick and then you can jump. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> Finish up. But what I'm seeing as um, time is going on and research is going on, and more um, women are coming out of the woodwork with issues and problems with their pelvic floor and talking about it with other people, is that we're realizing that the body has such a strong connection with the mind and um, really to provide the best practice we need to incorporate some work with the mind as well. So um, that's why having really great connections for people beyond just physical therapy and um, getting them connected to counselors and therapists um, to work on the mind aspect, we do weave that in a little bit with the work that we do in on the body, um, doing some breathing techniques and working on... Um, relaxation techniques to help soften the tissues and release tissues from a mind-body perspective, but bringing in another um, professional to help them through um, the mental aspect can be so, so beneficial. And I've seen a real improvement very quickly when we get multiple practitioners working on a one patient.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I feel very similarly. And even actually in my certification process, there was a whole training on collaborating with medical professionals. Mm -hmm. And when I see a client who, for example, struggles, is struggling with sexual pain, the first thing I do is often refer to a a physical therapist, and then we'll do a release of information so that we can collaborate together. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, what, what you're kind of alluding to there too, is that, you know, some of that research that's coming out around how the body and the, how that mind-body connection, and how even you know shame is stored in the body, and um, and even some of these the conferences that I go to, it's very interesting to note how many of them are around mindfulness as it relates to sexual health, and how mm-hmm. calming the mind, and um, when it comes to anxiety or depression, um, can really have that physical effect um, to relax muscles and things like your, are naming. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So. so I think it would be helpful too, if we could kind of give a couple examples. So like Nina, from your perspective, so you're seeing, um, you know, so say someone comes to you first, mm-hmm. um, and you said, you know, is it everyone that's a good candidate for you to be referred or mm-hmm. is it, um, you know, certain specific cases or certain diagnoses that mm-hmm. you see?
1: Well, you know, I guess um, you could make a case that everybody could have um, a therapist, a, a mental health therapist on, on their team, definitely. Um, but, you know, some sometimes things that come up, you know, are kind of red flags, certainly history of sexual trauma or some abuse or, um, you know, trauma to bodily parts whether it's sexual or um you know just a fall or you know something that was very anxiety producing that there's a lot of fear based around that um it, it, those kind of things are red flags to me that well, we should get somebody involved in and in kind of talking you through that um or even people who have been dealing with pain for a long time um so real chronic pain that you know, perhaps they need some coaching on how to manage that and how to, you know, some tools on how to engage socially when they have chronic pain. Um, those are kind of things that I see that um, would warrant a referral. And then I kind of, you know, want to flip that around. And you had mentioned
0: pain during sex, Cherie, as, as one of the common ones where you would get a physical therapist, a women's health specialist, uh, physical therapist involved, and um, is that um, one of the most common um, issues that you come across or um, are there other areas where um, you find it helpful collaborating and you could even share with us where you would find other healthcare providers useful as well?
2: Yeah. So I do collaborate a lot with physical therapists around vaginismus. It's that's kind of another way of talking about um, pain during sex. And sometimes Um, you know, it's okay. Women find that, you know, there's nothing physiologically going on. And I like to start there too, like with that question and with men too, that I work with, I mainly work with women. Um, But I would say that, you know, when we can kind of address the whole body, like the physical, and I tell people right up front, like sexuality is all of who you are. It is the mind, body, heart, spirit. And so we're gonna kind of look at all angles of those parts of of yourself. Um, And so, you know, PTs for sure um, use, can often use dilators to help women. And, you know, people just sometimes say, well, I've heard this a lot from clients or just go home, have a glass of wine, have a bottle of wine and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And that's simply not um, very good advice (laughs) that um, sometimes I hear Um, doctors or OBGYN or people giving to their clients, um, because, or just go home and do some Kegels. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's not either very great advice. (laughs) Yeah. Certain muscles that need to be relaxed and some other muscles that need to be strengthened and figuring out how to put it all together. Um, I refer to urologists sometimes for testosterone scores. If men are experiencing, um, like rapid ejaculation, or um, erectile dysfunction. And so, you know, there's lots of, uh, even for clients who have a hard time with touch, I've done some collaborations with massage therapists and, you know, talking to them about, yeah, this is a client I'm referring to you and they have a history of sexual abuse or they have a history of, you know, cross boundaries with their body. And so, um, you know, this let's collaborate together to talk about what that might look like as, you know, Learning to maybe embrace touch.
0: And not to throw any certain healthcare providers under the bus because they're certainly, right, just like anything, there's, you know, good, better, best options for your care, your healthcare. Um, if you think about who's in your kind of healthcare ecosystem per se. Um, but do you find you have issues with? one kind of provider more often than not with kind of giving maybe what would be like older
2: Mm.
0: outdated advice, potentially?
2: That's a good question. Well, I'll start kind of back with even why I want to meet with people, right? Even getting to meet with Nina and getting to meet with, like, I like to actually meet with people so that I can say, yes, I give like a stamp of approval as a sex therapist, that they have some understanding of sexual health. Um, And I will say, you know, there's not a certain profession or a certain, any specific doctor that I could throw under the bus necessarily, but to say, as a culture, as a society, we are so underdeveloped as it relates to a sexual health conversation. There's only 29 states um, that, I think it's 29. Yeah, 29 states that require sex education and 18 that require it to be medically sound. Um, so, when you think about, um, or in education, when I meet with clients, what kind I ask often? What is the kind of sex education that you got in your home, in, from religion, from schools, educationally, from doctors? And often it's much, this is the I get the answer of it's I learned about reproductive health. Uh, how not to get pregnant, how not to get an STI and, and um, penis in the vagina, you know, penetrative sex. That was all that was taught. Um, And sexual health conversation is actually much broader than that. It's around boundaries and consent. It's about relationships and how, how do you know what a trusted relationship is? It's about learning anatomy it is about learning. Repro- it's about understanding your values. It's about understanding what makes you feel alive in the world and where you feel enthusiasm, where you notice, like what gives you goosebumps in, the, like as you wake up in the day and you're like, wow, that was amazing. You know, like it's about so much more than just an act or a body part. And so I think there's so much work to be done on, on a cultural, societal, political, medical, educational level to actually broaden um, the educational part of it for, for young people starting as young as what they do in Holland at four. Hmm.
0: So um, that's a really good point about the education aspect of it. So I guess Nina, in your practice, do you find some of the same issues popping up? Do you find a lacking of education in most parts or mm-hmm. is it uh, something else?
1: Absolutely, and I think, you know, Cherie, you kind of touched on it well, that if, unfortunately, sometimes if patients bring up that they're having some dysfunction of their pelvic floor, whether it be urinary leakage or pain or pain with intercourse, um, it's sometimes brushed off that, well, that's normal, and do some kegels, or like you said, I've heard, have a shot of tequila, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing, really kind of poor advice. Um, so I just assume that um, with patients coming in, we start with the real basics. We get out the pelvic floor models and we start talking about these are the functions of these tissues and here's what they need to be able to do. They need to be able to contract well and relax well and yours are not doing that or they're contracting well, they're not relaxing well and... I start out with the basics, and a lot of times, even if somebody has some medical knowledge or some a decent amount of knowledge from their own research about their pelvic floor and the function, um, it's it's helpful to do from you know visual perspective.
0: So if if we were putting together, you know, now this is based on purely my experience. So I remember in fourth and fifth grade, uh, kind of the start of like in school sex education, like the very basics, like the reproductive part of it mostly. And then I think I had like one class in high school that it was like one unit of my health class in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I don't really remember anything else. So if both of you were tasked with, okay, what is the curriculum for the United States K through 12 system? of uh, sex education, what from both of your perspectives would definitely need to be included in that education aspect?
2: So in the fall, this past fall, I had the privilege of actually traveling to Amsterdam to study, to do some sexual health um, studying there, doing a course. And the net, we actually have quite a bit to learn from, from other countries like the Netherlands. Um, they are training teachers in preschools, how to um, have to talk to to talk to kids on a developmentally appropriate level about, let's say, when they're found playing doctor. I mean, and I can't even tell you how many times i've I've talked to adults who carry so much shame for their whole lives um, because of something that is very developmentally normal for kids to do, to be curious and to explore. But when they have an adult that reflects back that's bad or you did you're doing something wrong without a conversation of like yeah how did that make you feel did everybody agree to the game like did did get um, yeah, consent basically and you know it makes sense that you're curious let's talk about it mm-hmm. um And so teachers are trained in the Netherlands how to have these kinds of conversations very early on and I I would then love to see, you know, parents and teachers equipped to feel more like they're the sex experts in their home. Where, you know, and we're not, again, we're not talking just about the one conversation about sex or sexuality. It's kind of more like two hundred one-minute conversations. Like, oh wow, like you're in the bath and you're touching yourself. Wow, that feel that feels good, doesn't it? Like this is your vulva. This is your clitoris. Um, like actually using words and the terms for kids, because when they have that power and that knowledge, then they can, and that they know you're a trusted adult to have these conversations about their bodies with and about what they're experiencing or yeah, so and so touched me and it didn't make me feel very good. Tell me more. Thanks for telling me I'm a trusted person. Right. And this is where they touched me. You know, this is what keeps our kids safe when we have um, adults that are trusted, that they know they can talk to. But when they sense at all that this is a shaming conversation or it's taboo, then they're more likely not to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see that. Um, Or just, yeah, your feet are growing. What else is growing? Like um, your body's amazing. And um, at each stage for kids to be able to, you know, or yeah, you're, you're starting to be interested in dating, you know, like, let's talk about it. Like what, what kinds of relationships do you feel good in? How does this person make you feel? Um, How do you say no when the pressure is to say yes? Is the absence of a no or is the presence of a yes, just consent? No, it's not. Um, So all these kinds of things I would love to see.
0: Anything from your perspective, Nina?
1: Oh, I think that was a great summary. And, you know, my my kids are seven and nine. And I have to say that in preschool, I've learned so much from preschool teachers and how to communicate with, with kids. And um, I noticed very early on that there was some of that kind of woven through. I mean, not so much the um, the body part naming yet, but the um, just kind of having boundaries and respect for our bodies and respect for other people's bodies and you know, did that person want to be touched? Did they give you permission to touch their head or, you know, whatever they're doing at that time? And, um, I just, you know, I thought that was so clever and great. And why not start talking about, you know, those kind of things early on, as far as respect for our own bodies, respect for other people's bodies, getting consent. I mean, that was starting to get woven in at age three, I noticed. And, um, but no, I, I think that's, that's great, and that's very interesting that you've spent some time abroad and kind of taken some tidbits from um, what other countries are doing.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And then as, you know, you mentioned that when some people come to see you, Shuri, that, um, you know, they still have some of these lingering feelings of shame, and it's still impacting their sexual health and their, their sexual lives currently. So, you know, as they shift and become older, you hit that kind of high school and above age group. Um, How are you addressing um, some of those feelings of shame and how might, you know, there be a bit of a course correction if it wasn't exactly a perfect marriage of education at uh, the younger ages?
2: Yeah, I tell people a lot that. What is learned can be unlearned. And the learned shame and what they're carrying, because I hear the question, it it shows up in questions like, Am I normal? Is this normal? Um, And, you know, I often tell people like that we are going to continue to talk. And this is a, a space where you have permission to fumble around with finding the language that maybe you never did learn to have around. Um, around sexual health. And so I think for people, it is really kind of unlearning the shame and learning something new, um, that they can find joy in their bodies or that they can experience pleasure in their bodies and um, that they can understand their sexuality from a broader perspective. Um, And So that's super fun work. I think shame shows up in people in very particularized ways. So my shame story is very different than yours, than yours, than somebody else's, um, because of different experiences and different relationships. And shame tells me probably something very different than it tells you. And so really kind of getting clear with people on what does shame actually say to you? What is the shame voice telling you? and I often tell people, like, just assure them, like, I know that that shame voice has convinced you that you are broken and that something's wrong with you, but nothing is wrong with you. You're normal just the way, you're perfect just the way you are. Even with the struggle, even with, you know, people think sometimes because I'm experiencing these sexual difficulties, something's, yeah, wrong with me. And it's very common throughout the lifespan for people to experience um, sexual shifts and changes, right? As it relates to maybe having cancer or having, you know, some people just having had kids or age and aging and menopause or um, stress or going through a pandemic as a big hit on, you know, desire and all those things. So it's kind of just really, um, yeah, kind of getting in that with people of what what that shame voice says.
1: Mm-hmm. And something that you touched on, which I found to be a really helpful tool as well, in, in working with patients is, you know, especially in this pandemic time, and seems like, you know, things are proving a bit, but um, just having people find what brings them joy and what brings them happiness and trying to incorporate that a little bit each day. How, how mm-hmm. have you found that to be helpful with your clients and kind of what's the theory behind that? In the, the in, part about... In sexual health. So, you know, um, you kind of mentioned that at the beginning is finding things that, you know, give you goosebumps and feeling joy and feeling alive. And um, how do you, do you give that as like a prescription of, you know, reflect on that? And um, do you, yeah. you know, have them work with that certain you know, a few times a week and that that kind of thing. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, one of the things I really like to do with people is, you know, there's a lot of ways I work with that around mindfulness practices Mm -hmm. and slowing down. And, you know, sometimes, you know, when we get deeper into some of the things of why desire might not, there's a lack of desire or, um, stress is a big one. Mm -hmm. And, so really kind of helping people move through stress cycles in different, in different ways, be it through movements or um, different practices that we might come up with together that they could find meaningful for themselves around working with stress. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's also just helping them come into their senses a little bit more. Mm-hmm. and Senses meaning sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and what they love,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, what they find pleasing, um, because pleasure is essential, like one definition of pleasure could be that it's a sensual, you know, in the body, a sensual experience in the body, but it's really a broader definition too, of how do you find yourself at home in your own skin mm-hmm. and, um, with yourself, with, with your, with where you are and with whom you you find yourself and so I think practices of just kind of those really practical yeah what do you love to eat Uh (laughs) what do you love to look at what do you love to to taste or yeah to smell you know Uh all kinds of ways of just kind of entering into that Uh idea of pleasure that might be a little bit more of an entry point into that concept Uh if people do feel a lot of shame um in a sexual sense, mm-hmm.
0: you know? Yeah. So. Nina, do you find, like, that, you know, maybe you could intuit or tell, like, when you're working with a patient that mm-hmm. that is maybe part of what they're struggling with? Like, can you can you tell that just from working with a patient sometimes mm-hmm. in terms of, and does it inhibit them in their progress to, like, get better mm-hmm. in terms of the pelvic floor?
1: It, you mean in terms of, you know, having joyful moments and that, or you're saying stress levels really?
0: Well, mm-hmm. I, I mean, just inhibiting their overall, either whether it's healing or mm-hmm. fixing whatever's going on. Cause they're obviously seeing you for a reason. Right. Um, but do you find, I guess, do you, do you see it pop up or is it really, you re- refer to Shuri yeah. to kind of figure out if that's at the core Part of, of it? Something. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, I think you're kind of touching on, you know, when to bring in, um, a, mental health therapist um, but yeah absolutely you know maybe not initially right sure. off the bat you know as we meet and, and talk and the patient opens up and feels more comfortable um, then there may be some signs that okay are we dealing with a little bit of depression here do we have um, some things mentally that might be impacting the rate of recovery because the, the strength is improving the tissues are improving but you know they're they're struggling with their keeping up or support from their spouse and and they're having um a lot of down moments in that um and then you know sometimes just talking about that with me can be really helpful and Mm -hmm. um but other times it's bringing in a mental health therapist to help them along the way and do
0: you think Mm -hmm. that some of those issues prevent people from seeking help from somebody like you to actually mm-hmm. fix it a problem.
1: I'm sure. Yeah. Sure. I'm sure sometimes it's just hard to get started or figure out, you know, where to go or what to do when when you're dealing with depression, right? And and finding can this be changed or am I stuck like this? And and sometimes just taking that initiative can be really tough if you're struggling mentally.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it was even just that freedom, like of mm-hmm. getting more of it, and however somebody defines it, as right. I, you know, I see was like a big part of how you how you work with people, right? And um, yeah, just kind of that that what you're naming there of mm-hmm. what prevents certain maybe people feeling freedom right. um, in certain ways mm-hmm. because of other aspects that are blocking right them from accessing that freedom, mm-hmm.
1: right? And sometimes they just need a listening ear and I provide that and they're able to kind of, you know, um, improve that way. But other times we need to make a referral. Um,
0: And so kind of from there, we've kind of talked, I feel like we've been very focused on maybe something you'd work with, with individuals, but you offer both uh, couples and individual therapy. And I'm sure, you know, you might address some of the same things within both but can you kind of give us an overview of um, when couples come to see you versus when an individual might just need to, to talk with you, Sheree, um, and how that dynamic works when you get a couple in uh, for help?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I do mainly work with individuals, I would say, but I do enjoy working with couples as well. And yeah, sometimes it's mismatched desire. Sometimes it's years of um being in a sexless marriage um sometimes it's you know an affair sometimes it's um our infidelity sometimes it's yeah we just had uh, our first kid and we are now really struggling to understand how to connect just connect um and so um, yeah, I think it's, you know, with couples, it's, it's, it's a bit, it's fun work because I get kind of two sides of a story versus just one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also really helping people kind of in, in couples I find, and I do this with individuals too, but kind of really taking ownership of your own sexual health. Um, cause sometimes it's like, well, he's not doing this or she's not doing that. And, Um, there's some resentments that build up and so Mm -hmm. helping people really kind of own some of those, the feelings that they have and expressing them and talking about them, but also, um, you know, taking ownership for their own desire, right. Mm -hmm. So that it's not just about somebody else having to do something for you or fulfilling that need, but really being able to say, and also teaching people to, to kind of, I think that's another big piece with couples is um, we don't know how to talk about sex or we don't know how to talk about our intimacy. Um, But we know it's struggling and we know it's just not there. So, yeah.
0: So taking a bit of self-control, what does that look like for, you know, an average client of yours?
2: Um, Well, one of the things I would say is that it's about kind of the educational part too, right? Like, because for example, I'll kind of backtrack within um, like, for example, there could be a value for somebody not to have sex before marriage. Um, and at the, that can be a value. And at the same time, a person and an individual can be equipped with the sexual health knowledge and information that we talked about earlier. Um, now coming back to the the couple piece, some of that is some of the underlying message there is that if, if you're waiting until marriage, then that person fulfills kind of your needs and people don't understand how to kind of tune into their own, um, like what's going on for them. And so it's about somebody else filling a need or understanding them without having to necessarily vocalize what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really helping people try to find the words. For, okay, this is what's actually happening for mm-hmm. me right now. Um, and this is what I need or want. Finding the language, mm-hmm. finding finding their voice. I think mm-hmm. what I um, what I find often is that in my work with women specifically too, it's hard for women to sometimes vocalize needs and wants
1: mm-hmm.
2: because of some of the cultural societal narratives of you're the you're the helper, you're mm-hmm. the giver, mm-hmm. and so it's sometimes harder for for women. And again, I hope this changes, but to say this is what I need and this is what I want. Um,
1: the perpetual giver syndrome, I think they call that or something, right? Right,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, so. not Not that this is like the most appropriate example, but there's a, there's a comedian that had a, a bit about a friend that was coming to him and says, my girlfriend doesn't do, you know, she doesn't do anything that I would like her to. And he goes, well, have you asked her? And he goes, <laughs> well, no, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And he's like, well that makes a lot of sense why it's not happening. So he goes, you know, I figured out that I was into, uh, you know, nurses and now we own scrubs. And so he said, but I had to ask. Right. So kind of, you know, voice, learning Mm -hmm. to voice those and being brave enough to voice those concerns to your partner. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes. And I think I tell people that in couples, this that compatibility does not mean being the same. compatibility Mm -hmm. means like you're actually both bringing your needs and wants to the table and how do you negotiate and find agreements around that Mm
1: -hmm.
2: um, around those differing needs than actually being like okay well I guess that's not something we can do because neither like we're different Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so yeah Yeah.
1: so you said you mostly work with individuals sometimes couples Um, do you ever find that Working with an individual, you could re- really see a big value in bringing in the partner, but there may be some resistance to that. I, I know personally, I've seen when I'm working with patients, um, you know, there's some stretching techniques that a partner can assist with prior to intercourse that can be really helpful and. Um, some patients it's, they're very open to bringing in their partner and sometimes it's no, 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 no. They would not be interested in that type thing. Um, do you find that you have to, you know, get the partner involved or you can just really, you know, work with the individual and, and, um, they can start facilitating, facilitating a conversation?
2: Yeah. I, I sometimes do, um, suggest that Mm -hmm. if it feels appropriate, Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes clients are like, no, <laughs> yeah, know, I don't want, I don't want my partner to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but the times that I have, you know, I really try to have when that happens, like have that partner join in and be like, yeah, this, thanks so much for, for coming today and for being open to having what could be sometimes a really tender or awkward conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like when that, when clients are open to that and want that, it can be really beneficial too, and. And helping partners kind of, sometimes clients want their partners to actually just have me talk a bit about some educational things as it relates to female sexual health, or um, as it relates to some of like, maybe kind of talking about what we've been talking about and how they can be showing a little more empathy towards towards their partner. Mm -hmm. Or people want that for different reasons, but I don't ever, you know, I, it's not something I suggest unless I think okay this mm-hmm. could could be helpful. Mm. Yeah yeah
0: perfect. And then um, I, I, th- I think to to wrap up and kind of bring the conversation around and put it all together um, I think a great question uh, that Nina kind of had uh, that she sent to me is to kind of if you guys can both put together what would what, what is comprehensive, sexual health and sex therapy um, in terms of a well-rounded approach with all of the ideal health care providers helping you out. What does that look like for somebody?
2: Yeah. Nina, you want to start? I asked that question?
1: <laughs> you sent it to me. I'm pretty sure.
0: Maybe I wrote it. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Well, okay. Um, I mean, that's, that's a good question. So what would that ideally look like? Well, you know, for me, I'm kind of speaking to most of what I see. I tend to see a lot of women postpartum and a lot of times there's some trauma to the pelvic floor that happens and we're dealing with scar tissue or the healing of the pelvic muscles, um, can heal in a way that there is now pain. Um, also, um, life can happen and what we're doing in our life is stressful or or the needs are, you know, the needs of our body or the needs of our world, um, that we're living in with multiple kids and now a new baby. Um, the demands are too high for what our body's strength is. And we have hypertonicity develop. So, um, I would say that in those situations, um, it would be great to have at that six-week follow-up with the physician after they have their baby, that we do a screen for pelvic health. How is the pelvic floor doing? Is it functioning well? And a screen for mental health. And we find out if women are um, dealing with any postpartum depression and and just how their mental health is uh, at that point in time. And I think that'd be a really easy point because every um, woman is is given that um, six-week follow-up just to check to see how the tissues are healing and just a, a wellness visit. And it would be easy enough to do a quick screen of the pelvic floor, provide a questionnaire, um, as well as um, a quick screen of mental health. And I'm lucky enough that I have an amazing OBGYN who provided that for me and um Uh, I found that to be awesome, but in in talking to a lot of patients, that's not necessarily being done. Um, And so I think that'd be a great first start. Let's let's see how women are doing right after they have kids. That's such a transitional time. Um, Also, you know, yearly visits with physicians, it would be great to, um, they're going in for their yearly checkups find out how um, their mental health is. Um, I think generally I'm seeing on a lot of the screening tools as uh, people are going in for their wellness checks, bowel and bladder dysfunction, so that can be you know, an easy screen right there typically on um, paperwork, but um, we, we're pretty lucky we've got some really great questionnaires and tools that are backed up by research and science that, at least from the physical perspective, maybe, sure, you could comment on the mental health perspective, but that are shown to to really rule out and rule in um, dysfunction of bowel, bladder, pelvic floor, um, amongst other things. So I think we have tools there. It's probably just implementing within the system. And I think uh, doing that on a regular basis whether it be six week follow-up with a physician postpartum or a yearly visit would be great great start
2: yeah 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 the comprehensive part I would I like when people ask like yeah what is that what is mm-hmm. comprehensive se- sexual health um, it really is that kind of the the bigger part of your story right mm-hmm. of somebody's story and um understanding how, yeah, family of origin and how religion on how education and how their, their story really intersects with, um, and, and mental health too, right? Of course. And, you know, I'm working with clients on, okay, you're on this antidepressant and, you know, this definitely as a known, um, antidepressant SSRI that, you know, is, Affects desire or affects, you know, yeah, desire to engage in sex. Um, and so, how we can talk about that, we can talk about like ways to grow desire around, you know, certain activities that can help, you know, get blood flow going or to activate the mind or to activate, you know, but it really is kind of understand for people understanding. Kind of the larger part of their story, um, understanding the bigger, the bigger, more comprehensive aspect of, of who they are mm-hmm. and sexual health. Kind of what I was getting at earlier too, around um, it's a bigger, it's a really big conversation
1: mm-hmm.
2: and not just, you know, reproductive learning about the reproductive system or um, how babies are made or those kinds of things. Yeah.
0: All right. Did I did I miss anything that you're like, we didn't get to? I really want to let people know about this. And if not, uh, Shuri, definitely. Um, I know you've got online therapy set up. Uh, plug us your location in Wisconsin and then everywhere we can find you.
2: Okay. So my number is 414-909-1558. And my email is counseling at That's counseling at C-H-E-R-I-E-K-A-T-T dot com. And my website is shrikot.com.
0: And can do you have any you can we find you on social media at all, or is that not something you do?
2: Yeah, not right now.
0: Okay, that's fair. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We will make sure to have all that information posted in the show notes so that they're easy to find. Um, and we'll also post them on our social posts as well. Um, Nina, uh, Sheree thank you so much for coming on the show Um, and it was, I thought it was a really good conversation so thank you so much This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services providing exceptional one-to-one hands-on care to the greater Milwaukee area for over 25 years Our physical and occupational therapists prepare custom plans for your condition to relieve pain and improve performance. Allow us to help you enjoy more freedom at freedompt.com.